You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Hey, fan people. It's your host, Aaron Roverman, reminding you that this episode of Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com is sponsored by Harry Tarantula. And the thing I love about comics are the crossovers, you know, those intercompany crossovers, DC versus Marvel, Batman versus Spider-Man, Spawn versus Daredevil. I mean, really the sky's the limit. But I miss them. They don't happen so much anymore. But on the retail side, Harry Tarantula has a crossover on its own. You can go there for your comics fix and your cryptocurrency because they now sell Bitcoin. So you can get Batman and Bitcoin. It's pretty great. Especially when people like uh, City Councilor Norm Kelly are talking about maybe paying your taxes in Toronto, your parking tickets, those sorts of things with Bitcoin. Now, if you don't know what Bitcoin is, it's a decentralized currency. Leon can tell you all about it. As he says, the least interesting thing about Bitcoin is the price. So go over there, get your comics, get your cryptocurrency, get your Batman, get your Bitcoin, and tell Leon that Aaron sent you. Listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries, with your host, Aaron Broverman. Hey, fan people. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. You found us on Never Sleeps Network at neversleepsnetwork.com. Follow us on social media at Speech Bubble Pod and subscribe wherever you get your podcast needs met on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and now Spotify. With me today is a very special guest. Uh, we're sort of departing from our regular format. It's not somebody from Toronto. He, he is American. He has worked on such things as Mecca Boys. That's right. Right, right. Yeah. So James Kowalka? Kachalka. Kachalka. That's how we pronounce your name. <laughs> Perfect. You're here for TCAF, Toronto Comic Arts Festival, right? Yes, that's right. That's awesome. It's my first time in Toronto. Ever? Yes. Wow, that's great. Um, but you've obviously heard of TCAF before, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. And I, I came to Ontario once as a teenager for some, it's like Odyssey of the Mind, or maybe it was called Olympics of the Mind back then. It's like a competition of teenagers' mental battles. Right, right. And, <laughs> and you're also here, in addition to Mecha Boys, you're also here promoting uh, Johnny Boo and the Ice Cream Computer. Is that That's correct? right. Johnny Boo and the Ice Cream Computer debuts at TCAF. That's awesome. Tomorrow. And that's a comic for kids, right? Yeah. And Mecha Boys is not for kids. Mecha Boys is not for kids. I should have mentioned that off the top. It's sort of a super bad meets Iron Man sort yeah, of it's, thing. Yeah, it's, it's a little disguised, but it's basically about like school violence of like what is happening in the mind of, of teenage boys that go on violent rampages. Right, right. So like inspired by like the school shootings. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's also inspired by uh, my own life as a teenage boy. Yeah, because one of the characters' names is, is James, right? Yeah, that's he's right. into comics and <laughs> stuff. Right. So let's get into that. Like, how did you grow up? What was your life as a teenage boy like? Since it's so relevant to the work. Oh God, it was exhilarating and torturous. I don't know if I want to get into all the specifics. It was, you know, it's rough. It's really rough. Right, right. And back then, <laughs> superheroes weren't as hip as they are now, right? So if you're a comic collecting geek, it's kind of tough. No, right? I, yes, but I wasn't, you know, actually, honestly, I wasn't that into superhero comics as a teenager. Oh, okay. I don't think I honestly probably didn't really get into superhero comics until, like, my 40s. <laughs> 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 and then it's still only a select few. I mean, I've I, I always liked like the, the 60s DC and 60s Marvel comics. Uh, beyond that, there's a few touchstones here and there that I like. Uh, I was really into Invincible, the Robert Kirkman book. Mm-hmm. And uh, proud to say I had a letter uh, in the letters column of the final issue and fan art in the final issue of Invincible. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. That's awesome. And then, okay, this is really weird. So he has this, in one panel, there's this new character, and he's got this fox on his shoulder, right? And he says to the fox, uh, the fox's name is Chainsaw, so he says something, I have something to Chainsaw. Right. It's like, my heart just, like, fell out of my chest, because I had this character called Chainsaw the Fox that I haven't really done anything with. Oh, And I was like, oh, now I can never do anything with Chainsaw the Fox. And then I was like, well, maybe I can. I, then I actually like did like a Google search or something for my own character and found that I had actually used it before, right. like on my Tumblr. That's crazy. So like it's sort of the simultaneously, simultaneous ideas sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I tweeted something about it and he, he got worried too. Yeah, he, he got really worried too. I could tell from his response. Oh man. Yeah, it's, it's the weird copyright to netherworlds. Yeah, of course. So I, I think um, I had an idea for another fox called Banana Fox. Okay. About a banana, like a yellow fox. And I even wrote like a theme song for that. Let me see if I can remember it. It goes like, who's nice and yellow? Banana Fox, who's on TV? Banana Fox, who's nice and yellow? That fellow is me. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love it. You got the rhyming and everything. It's so good. So... You, you create these, like, worlds, like, they're fully realized in, like, other media, but then also comics. I mean, you have a very specific drawing style and that sort of thing. So how did you get into comics initially? How, like, what made you go from, like, a fan to wanting to, like, create them? I just started creating them, like, right away. Definitely from third grade on, I've been drawing comics. Between third grade and the end of high school... I had already drawn more than a thousand pages of comics. Wow. Uh, I have a thousand pages that I know of, that I've saved, and I know there's others that I lost. That's awesome. So Wait, maybe even more. Let me think. It might be two thousand, you know, no, I'm sorry, two thousand pages of comics. Wow. I have two thousand pages of comics that I saved from childhood. I know that because each box fits like 500 sheets, and I have them in these these four boxes. And do you take any of your ideas from childhood and transfer them into work that you're doing now? No, no. It's all not to be seen. Yeah, well, um, I did some minis in the 90s that combined um, some panels from comics I drew as a kid with like an autobiographical story that was happening now. Somehow I combined them. Yeah, so I did do that. 
I've done at least once. Right. Yeah. So the thing that I find interesting is like you do the adult comics like Mecha Boys, and then you do like Johnny Boo and the Ice Cream Computer, but it's sort of disarming for something like Mecha Boys because your your style is sort of like very specific and like cartoonish and that sort of thing. So tackling serious subject matter with that kind of style, do you find that it's that it's more effective or more disarming for the audience? Well, I, yeah, I th- I think it's very effective. Yeah. The problem is people can't tell that it's a book for grown-ups. You know, it looks to a lot of people like it's a book for kids. The only tip-off that it's not is that there's swears in it, right? And some of my recent books, like Elf, Cat, and Love, I wrote that for uh, adults. I mean, I thought it was writing it for adults, but then every review said, another great Kachalka book for kids. So, you know... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can't escape your reputation. No. So I was like, okay, I guess we'll sell it to kids then. <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty amazing. So, I mean, what, what do you like better? Do you like writing for kids better? Do you like writing for adults? Is there different parts of your imagination or creative uh, muscles that get scratched? What I really like best are the these books that are impossible to categorize that I think I'm writing for adults, but then other people, like those ones that are in between, that like some some strange in-between place are my favorite ones to write, I think. Or my favorite ones to read after I write them. I don't know. I, I like working on everything. I really like working on things that I know are gonna be published. Sometimes when I work on some new strange book, I have to worry if the publishers are gonna be interested. And I really like writing those books, but there's something really nice feeling about knowing that there's a definite home for the book when it's published. Mm-hmm. So if I draw another Johnny Boo book, I know the whole time there's not a chance that this Johnny Boo book is not going to be published. Right. You know, um, so that's comforting. Yeah. And your Kachalka, you know, that name precedes you now, right? Can't you get more stuff published just because well, you th- are James Kachalka? You would, you would think, well... It's not that I have any troubles being published, but because I write so many books, they can kind of step on each other's toes. Like, I'm in competition with myself. My, my sales aren't only in competition with every other cartoonist book sales out there. They're in competition with my own books. Like, if you put out two or three books in a year, they're like, you're competing against yourself. Yeah. And that's what I've, I've been, I put out two or three books a year for like the last 20 years. So how do you, how do you compartmentalize <laughs> it in your mind? Like, do you have books that you're cheering for over other books? Like, to, to do better? Well, sometimes, or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so right now, with like, you know, Mecha Boys just came out like March uh, 2018 around, and then... And now we have Johnny Boo. And now we have Johnny Boo. Which, which technically comes out in June, but we have it early here at the show. Right. So because it's early at the show and because it's debuting, I want you to talk a little bit more about it, but like with the two books so close together, which one do you want to do more with or which one do you want to do better? Well, of course, the Johnny Boo series as a whole has been going on for a long time and, and it is doing well. So I really like the new one to get noticed, right? right? You know, the one that's not Johnny Boo, right. Mecha Boys. Mecha yeah, Boys, yeah. exactly, yeah. because it's something that's not established, right? right? Yeah. Right, 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 for sure. And and you're dealing with a subject matter that's very, very current and you're doing it in your yeah, own Yeah, almost way. like too current. Yeah. Like it was, 
it, you know, it, it takes you a few years. To, it actually took me 10 years to write that book. Wow. Um, I first wrote it as a movie script and then sat on that for a few years and then rewrote it as a graphic novel and then took, you know, like some time to draw it. And then it took some time between finishing drawing it and when it was published. So over the course of that, that whole period, the way we look at school violence is different now than it was when we, when I started the process of working on the book. Absolutely. And, yeah, and like now things are actually changing. Well, there's <laughs> a know? lot of activism. There's yeah. a new presidential administration. Would they have their own view of how they're going to tackle this? That's completely different. From so, like when I wrote the book, no one was even talking about it at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like a little. Well, but, you know, like Columbine was like more than ten years ago, about ten years ago now. Was it? Was it like twenty? Nineteen ninety nine, right? Yeah, that's more than 10 years ago. More than 10 years ago. <laughs> that's close to 20 years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, like, it's got to have been on your mind from back then, right? But yeah, now yeah. they're just more frequent. And, it's, and I'm, you know, I'm here I am, I'm laughing as I'm talking about, but it's not funny. No, absolutely not. <laughs> We're um, just laughing. Know, just, I'm just laughing because that's my default way of talking. Right, and it's, and it's the <laughs> absurdity of such a dark and serious situation. And right? I did write it as a comedy. Right. I did write it as a dark yeah. comedy, but I think that that is... You know, it's like, it's kind of like uh, Heathers. Uh, that's another thing I'd, I'd compare it to. And some people have compared it to Dazed and Confused. Just the sort of, the like distant male sort of like kind of kind of thing. Like that kind of yeah. coming of age yeah. type thing, right? Yeah, totally. No, I, I totally understand that for sure. And I like it because it attacks a serious subject matter... And you don't expect it going going into it, right? Because it's about these two guys and like superheroes and like it's it's taken to like a mecha mecha level, like the the mechs of like Japan and those sorts of things. So suddenly you think you're writing one book and then you're reading about something else. Is that something that you like to do? Sort of like disarm the audience that way? Um, yes, but I don't. I'm not really thinking about it like I'm trying to manipulate the audience into having a certain experience. I basically, I'm having the, like that experience you have when you read a book is kind of like the experience that I have when I write the book. It's sort of unfolding in front of me. So the things that surprise the reader, I didn't put in there to surprise the reader. They surprise me when they happen. Right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) It's sort of like... There's parts of this process that are totally beyond your control, and they're not... I think that's the problem. Like, when you go to conventions like this, fans, especially during, like, Q&A and whatever, they assume that everything is a grand master plan, and you've, you've figured everything out. But really, there are some organic occurrences that happen, right? Yeah. Well, like, so then the, the flip side is, like, the negative way to look at the way I write books is people say, oh, you just make it up as you go along. But that's how... Really, that's what... Every book is made up as the author goes along. Right. I mean, e- even if you have a plan first, you made up the plan as you went along. Right, exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, even if it's formed in your head before you write it down, in your head you make it up as you go along. Yeah. You know, like, it can't just suddenly, beginning, middle, and end of the book, and everything that happens forms you know, one strike of lightning in your brain at the exact same moment. Yeah. You know, it's a process of, of discovery. You did say about Mecha Boys that, like, there are parts of your own teenage experience in there. Were there people 
that you knew in high school that sort of exhibited the qualities of some of the oh I illness? did yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Right. oh I mean I would have uh, uh, well um, I fantasized often about you know like killing half the town right um, I just think it's it's way more common it's not just the completely not that I wasn't broken but there's it's not just the completely broken kids right it's like something that everybody's thinking about right exactly it's just certain people get pushed over the edge into actually doing it right? yeah yeah. Wow. I like the relatability of it because it makes it egalitarian and it makes everybody's problem, not just just these people or, you know, we group people into boxes too often and I think there needs to be some equality when you're dealing with these sorts of things, right? Yeah. You know, it may be a, a messed up kid, but the problem really isn't the messed up kid. The problem is the whole messed up society. Ugh. You know, I don't. It's it's pretty weird to talk about. I don't know. I don't know how much I even want to really uh, talk okay. about. You know, but we I, can talk uh, around it. We don't but, have to talk about it. <laughs> you know, it's 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 kind of a strange thing because you know I, I want to promote this book, right? But I don't like talking about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> have you run into any kind of like controversy, like when you do talks and that sort of thing? Have people come up to you and been like, "You shouldn't, you shouldn't talk about this sort of thing." Like, well, you know, I, I haven't, like, I don't think I've ever admitted to anyone before that I fantasize about killing half the town. <laughs> Except, you know, to my friends back then, we'd kind of talk about it in sort of like a joking way of like, "What if we all had bazookas?" What could we do to this town if we had bazookas? Yeah, because you grew up in these sleepy dead end towns. There doesn't seem to be anywhere to go. Like for me. You know when that. What if we became terrorists when we grew up? Exactly, and like, <laughs> and like, like one decision could turn you know a seemingly mild-mannered person into something completely evil. Or you have those and so sorts what, of thoughts. What some of the kids would do, they wouldn't necessarily do that, but they might do something like just open up somebody's car and steal the car stereo out of it, right. just to see like what that felt like. Yeah, and would they get caught? Right, no, they wouldn't get caught. Yeah. And, um, or steal a car. Mm -hmm. Just drive around for a while, smash the car, get out. What happens? Because yeah, you're bored. Cause, yeah, because I, I, like, I know so many kids that did stuff like this. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all part of that restless teen energy. And it has to do with it kind of has to, well, there's a couple things going on. I think one, you know, they say that your mind is like rewired more during that period than it is at any time since you're like two. You know, like there are all these new, there are neural connections falling apart and new ones being built. And uh, like critical thought is very difficult. Right, the frontal cortex, which, which controls critical thought, is like the last part to be developed in, in, in the brain, I, I think. Uh, you know, from yeah, I'm not. I, I don't know the really know the science. I've read you know some articles, but I don't really know. Yeah. but I just know what I can remember what it felt like, and what it felt like is everything's out of control, and you're also trying to figure out like who you are and what your place in life is. Um, like in the in the book Mecha Boys, like there's that scene where the character like burns all his comic books because he doesn't want to be a little kid anymore. So he, he burns his whole comic book collection. Wow. Um, 
And many people have done that. Like, as soon as you get into girls and stuff, you're like, comics are for kids. I'm not gonna, I'm not, because you get judged. You used to get right, judged. Yeah, yeah, for right, it, right. You know? I can relate to that. I mean, when this, like, van attack happened in, in Toronto recently, and it turned out that this dude was, you know, an involuntarily celibate person like a you know who just who apparently right and that's like a whole scene it's not yeah it's like, I mean, a like whole there's scene. all sorts of people that are celibate for many different reasons um and you know what so uh like i understand the incels they believe that you know like they're being denied sex by women right i was but, gonna say that they, they're but, blaming but the truth is everybody of all genders has sex, does not have sex. Right. For many different reasons. Right. And I was going to say that, like, you know, I was one of those people. I didn't blame other people for my plight. But as a person with a disability, it's, like, really hard to date. So when I saw this incel thing, uh, you know, like you in the way that you sort of related to the school shooters in a, in a very minor way, I kind of had the same thoughts about this guy. Like, I really empathize with at least the frustration that he was feeling. Right. I just went inward and changed things about myself, whereas he went outward and decided to blame the rest of society. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I think uh, the internet is great for some things and bad for others. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes it's just two sides of the exact same coin. So like the internet will bring people together with strange interests and that can make you feel so wonderful to feel like you're part of this community and you're you're helping each other, you know, it could be comics or, you know, you, maybe you have an interest in strange movies from Turkey, you know, and you find people that have the same interests and you talk about it and you feel great. But it can also reinforce the, you know, terrible things about right. your personality and or give you or, or like enforce, um, enforce twisted ideas that are wrong. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think... Mecha Boys is good because it it works on that level. Like it's accessible to maybe the same teens who had they not read it are having the same thoughts and thinking the same things. Are you trying to get to that teenage audience to some degree, or is it more adult even than that? Like who are you targeting? I actually don't know. I think to be sort of safe, we're not targeting it. We're not we're not uh, promoting it for teens. Right. I think it's probably fine for teens to read it, but we're not directly promoting it to teens. Right, yeah. right, right. Okay. I, I personally believe that, uh, as far as books go, that a, a book can't hurt you. Right. Um, but sometimes it's good to be able to have someone to talk to about the information that you encounter in a book. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, um, and I don't know, you don't know, like who the person has to talk to about it. And is it hard for <laughs> is it hard for you as the creator like once it's released in the world like you don't have any control over how your stuff is interpreted or No, that's used true. Or... Um, and and the truth of the matter is I would like to create works of art that are forces of good, but for someone it may have been might you know something could be a force of evil. Honestly, I don't think it's probably not possible to do good without accidentally doing evil at the same time and it's probably not possible to do evil without accidentally doing something good at the same time right wow <laughs> so that's like it's a weird thought i mean it's it's tough to create things if you dwell on that too much but you know every so often i guess it comes up a little yeah. bit
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'd like to, you know, I'd like to make the world a better place. <laughs> or, you know, rather than the opposite. Right. <laughs> right. And, I mean, I think you're doing that with, with, with Johnny Boo. I think kids really dig that series. Yeah, they do. So tell me about the genesis of that and how, like, the original idea came to be, just in case people... Uh, aren't aware who might be listening, and then we'll get into the new one. Okay, well, Johnny Boo is a little ghost, kind of like a little, just sort of cartoon-shaped little guy. He's got a big uh, swoop of hair, kind of Elvis-like, but not really. It's not mm-hmm. a Elvis. It's not Elvis hair, but it's a swoop of hair, dramatic right. swoop of hair. Kind of like the Johnny Bravo sort of thing. Do you remember that? I don't know. Hair? I don't know that. Uh, no. It was a cartoon, <laughs> cartoon Network. He had the giant pompadour sort of like swoop thing. So yeah. Okay. That. And he has a little. Uh, best friend and pet ghost Squiggle. Nice. And then the, he, they have this frenemy. They have a couple frenemies. There, uh, one frenemy is uh, the ice cream monster who shows up in many books, and he always tries to eat them. I guess because he thinks they're made of ice cream. And, right. Uh, <laughs> and then they have this other frenemy, the mean little boy, who is in Johnny Boo and the Mean Little Boy, but he's also in Johnny Boo and the Ice Cream Computer. He thinks they're butterflies and tries to catch them in, with his butterfly net. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> so what made you want to go in this direction? What made you want to write this sort of thing? Well, honestly, I think... I'm not going to name names, but I saw this other book by a uh, cartoonist, and it was for kids, and I it kind of annoyed me so much. I wrote my own, uh, you know, just out of uh, spite. <laughs> You're like, oh my god, I can do better. Right. But that's good, it's motivating, yeah, right, right? Exactly. <laughs> I've never had that thought as a writer yet, but I, I I bet I will at some point, right? It's perfect. And then it just and then it just took off. Like like what's the kind of reaction that you get from kids when you when you meet them? Uh, they're usually in awe. Um, it, you know, especially in my town, you know, I, I'm like really famous with kids in Burlington, Vermont. I can't walk down the street without kids yelling like, "Hey, Johnny Boo!" at me. Is it the same town that like Ben and Jerry's came from? Yeah, yeah. And I say that as the Canadian who doesn't really know. Yes, uh, in fact, I just got a just got a hug from either Ben or Jerry just like a month ago. I can't. I can't remember which one it was, um, but yeah. That's awesome. I really feel like he, I've met him a couple times, I'm, but um, I really feel like he had mistaken me for someone else. Ben, ben and or Jerry? Ben, I just can't remember which one it was. <laughs> cool. If you're out there and you're listening, let him know. Um, that's that's so great. So the newest one, this is uh, what's the number on this on this volume? Uh, I don't know. It, it's either eight or nine. Okay. Uh, and it depends on how you count because there's there's also so I did this other series, Dragon Puncher, and then I did Johnny Boo meets Dragon Puncher. So crossover. Yeah, crossover. So um, Top Shelf, I don't think counts Johnny Boo meets Dragon Puncher as a Johnny Boo book. Okay. So, but if you do, then there's one more. Oh, it's like a bonus. <laughs> right. Special feature. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So that's really cool. I mean, what do you think separates, you know, since since you said, you know, I saw this on the shelf and I thought I could do better. What do you think you've done better than some of the comic, some of the graphic novels for kids out there? Well, I just kind of think that way. I think like a silly kid a lot of the time. 
I know, like you always hear like, kids are so creative, like how do they think of those things? And I always think, I can outthink any kid. I can, I can come up with a zillion more crazy ideas than any kid I've ever met. <laughs> because I've worked hard on it from childhood until now and never stopped working harder at, try, at trying to think up crazy ideas. I, I love it, I love it. <laughs> If you're a kid listening to this, James is in competition with you. Yeah, like, yeah, step up to the plate, we'll have a battle of the minds. Bring it on. <laughs> Bring it on, kids. <laughs> That's so awesome. I love it. So tell me about Johnny Boo and the ice cream computer, because it's the newest one. Yeah, so Johnny Boo makes a computer uh, with a hammer. Like, so there's no real explanation. Like, his, his friend, like, he builds it, and his friend... Squiggle asked him, how do you do it? He's like, I did it with my hammer. <laughs> but <laughs> so he builds this computer and the, the computer turns anything like it's got like this like funnel like thing on top and like a spigot on the side. So if you anything you put in the top will come out ice cream. Amazing. Yeah, I would love that. I love ice cream. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. So they they put some old toys that they don't play with anymore and they put some clods of dirt in it and they make old toy dirt clod flavor ice cream but there's really so much going on in this book they also play tag uh they uh travel to the future there's an alien invasion of earth and the mean little boy tries to catch them all for his butterfly collection. That's uh, that's amazing. <laughs> There's always some mean little boy around every corner. Now, like a lot of this, you could say it's not really happening. Like, really, Johnny Boo falls asleep and he wakes up and he thinks it's the like it's literally the future because right. it's not the same time it was when he fell asleep. Right, right. It is literally. <laughs> <laughs> And then he sees the light from uh, he sees the light from the mean little boy's house, and he thinks that's like a light from a UFO, and there's an alien invasion. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I do you have a plan for these books? Do you know when you're gonna stop? Are you just gonna keep doing them as long as you have ideas? Oh, like, I'll keep doing them as long as Top Shelf wants me to keep doing them. Right. Yeah. Right. But there's no overarching like collect them all and there's like a giant story that we're no no there's no there's no continuing story although i'm starting to tie things together that so i brought back the mean little boy he was like a one-off right and now he's back so now he can basically what i'm uh, what i'm really building is a superhero team and most people don't think of johnny boo as a superhero comic but it really is okay and they talk about their power like i kind of find it hard to believe that no one's noticed it's a superhero book because they talk about their powers all the time right johnny boo has boo power which is he yells boo really loud yeah squiggle has squiggle power which is like just flying around really fast in like a random pattern (laughs) (laughs) but they like accomplish things with the, these powers like and, they use their powers in the story and defeat mean little boys yeah defeat, defeat the mean little boy or defeat yeah. the ice cream monster yeah. yeah it's really a superhero book and then like the then there's like the pantheon of villains uh, th- there's some other good characters there's Susie Boom who lives on the moon she's a little girl ghost that lives on the moon nice should be part of the good guys and then the bat and then there's Rocky the Rock who's a rock he's one of the good guys um, and then uh uh, now there's the ice cream computer. Ice cream computer is one of the good guys. That's awesome. Um, although you never know, 
I could see like he could team up with the ice cream monster and join the pantheon of bad guys. So the pantheon of bad guys is ice cream monster and mean little boy, but they're also friends. They're basically they're frenemies. Right, right. And, and it, it's like if the Joker was friends with Batman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's totally awesome. So I mean, for a guy who says that he didn't get into superhero comics until he was like forty years old, like. What were you collecting before, and what do you like about superhero comics now? Okay, so I did did like superhero comics when I was was a kid, but at one point I suddenly became terrified of them, and I gave them all away. So Terrified at why? Because, like, they're horrific monsters punching each other. Okay. You know, it was, like, scary. Like, I, I used to collect Incredible Hulk, and then one day I realized the Incredible Hulk is a scary monster. And then I had to get those things out of the house. Wow. Like How old they, were you? Uh, I must have been pretty young. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. Like young elementary school age. So but I was like so scared of monsters when I was little. I was literally afraid that monsters could bite my hand off, hands off any time. So I had to, um, I, I had this little gray sweater and I'd, I'd like tuck my hands into the sweater. James and, like, is literally tucking his hands in the sweater. Right? You can't <laughs> and, see. And like crumple it up so like... Like, so there's no hand visible and there's no no opening for a monster to get in there to get Yeah, he's like, wadded <laughs> his sleeve up into a ball. And then holding that in my fist. And you do yeah. that with both hands? Do that with both hands. And I walk around all day at school like that. Wow. What did your parents do? Because, like, this gives well, me Really, my parents to... pr- should have sent me to a psychologist. There were a million things wrong with me as a kid. I, like, I desperately needed help and I didn't get it. Sure. But... Um, I've been able to funnel all that into, year, into a comic book career. You know, like, so if they had gotten me help as a little kid, maybe I wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't have all these great ideas for books. Right, and <laughs> I guess you eventually grew out of it, and then it all yeah. just came onto the page. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not like I don't have anxiety. Anymore. Right. I still have anxiety. It's, but it's not manageable. It's not so bad I have to keep my hands tucked into my sleeves. Wow. I mean, it gives new meaning to the don't let the bed bugs bite. Like, I, bet, I bet if your parents said that, you'd be like, a, there'd be like a new monster for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty yeah. insane. Crazy. So you're here at TCAF. I mean, this is obviously going to air after TCAF, but like, what are your plans for the festival? Uh, what are you hoping? I mean, this is your first time in Toronto, you were saying. So uh, how do you feel? Uh, I feel good. You know, I don't particularly like to leave home. I like when I leave, I like to travel with friends or with my family. I think that's really fun. But traveling by myself is, yeah, I feel more of the anxiety. You know, like yeah. that we were just talking about that little kid anxiety. I feel kind of scared. Right. Anywhere I go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, but I can handle it. Right. Yeah. And luckily with this, you don't have to go too far. Like you're, it's kind of compartmentalized into this one. Right. Like, so it's like, yeah, it's just like, you know, the, the The convention is, the convention is only two blocks away. Yeah, exactly. Super easy. Exactly. So it's all super easy. You don't have to get lost. There's none of that happening. We're all very friendly. Yeah. We're all going to apologize to you at (laughs) Nasio as Canadians. So I wouldn't worry about it. Plus you have people helping you out and, you know, your publisher and stuff. That's cool. Are you excited to meet uh, some new fans? Uh, absolutely. I mean, that's the reason to attend the show, really, is to, to make new connections with readers. And, uh, but also, 
I'm excited to like check out all the other to find some books that I haven't heard of. Um, right. You know, I'm a fan of comics, so so it's the comic book convention is a great place to see a bunch of great new stuff. Yeah, there's so many international guests at TCAF from like Japan and Germany, and and I, I went to a couple talks today, so right. I got to. You know, hear some people talk about their books and stuff. That's great. Yeah, that's awesome. And all different levels coming together. Like whether you're like high profile and or you're just starting out and you're doing like indie publications and stuff. I mean, that's awesome. Like how if somebody is an indie publisher and they want to get into comics, how do they become someone like you who's like a touring author and published and like a cartoonist novels. you said publisher well, like no no, no. You're, you're a cartoonist but how do they get published and get through a publisher and that sort of thing like how did you become who you are at the level that you are okay well that's that those are kind of two two different questions okay like because <laughs> how how it happened for me is not necessarily reproducible. Right. Um, Everybody says that. Everybody has their own path, cause, right? Because basically, the first several uh, several of my early publishers, like Highwater Books and uh, Alternative Comics and um, Top Shelf, weren't publishers when I first started trying to get published. Right. But they were fans of comics, and they were fans of the mini-comics that I was making. So then when they became publishers... They asked me, "Can we publish a book with you?" So, and like, what, what so like, so like, is this uh, before they were who they were? This would have been early and mid '90s. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, I would send out submissions, and they would get rejected. Basically, I I feel like I I I willed a situation into being where, like, I created the comics. These guys read the comics, and decided to become publishers. And published me, right? Like was the only way I was ever going to get published because the rest of the world was like, I don't get these comics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were lucky that the fans that liked the comics actually became the publishers who right. published the comics. Yeah. Like so, I created the gatekeepers that opened the gate for me. Wow. And were you guys all friends before? No, 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 no. They, they were like, found. like yeah, like through the mail. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. That's well, awesome. like um, Chris Staros. Who runs Top Shelf? Right. I I did used to send him my comics because he did this little magazine called the Staros Report where he would talk about like the best graphic novels and mini comics and things like that. And so I'd send him a, and and he would write about them. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. And then uh, Tom Devlin, who ran Highwater Books, he was like a manager or um, uh, or something of the Million Year Picnic, which is a comic book store in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Right. And he was like in charge of their mini comic selection, and and like my one of my mini comics had been reviewed in the comics journal, or maybe like a, a suite of my mini comics had been reviewed in the comics journal, and so he contacted me to get some of the mini comics for the store. So that's how I got to know him. That's that's amazing. And it like if you're gonna start a publishing company, like the best way to get exposure to like your future. Clients that you're going to publish is to be like a journalist to like review them to get the books and that sort of thing. So perfect, like you said, you created the gatekeepers. Yeah. Kind of. So there's other ways to do that. I mean, like right. we probably wouldn't play out for you the exact same way that mm. it played out for me. But any um, personal connection that you make with anyone could be important. Right, and there's always self-publishing, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, and I think. And, and these days, you know, you, you, can just, you can just put stuff online and hope that magic happens. Right. 
Right, right. Or, you know, and I but think... But basically, anytime you're putting something out there, you're kind of hoping that magic Yeah, happens. absolutely, because <laughs> there has to be some little bit of luck involved. Like, of course, hard work, and of course, the tenacity and all that sort of stuff, but, but like you said, like, these people that... You know, they happen to start a publishing company, and they really dug it. Like, yeah. you have to have those champions at some point. Yeah, there's also something. You, you, I mean, you could be you could be very skilled and have and uh, and really and, and not make it. That's certainly possible. Mm-hmm. You could have a low level of skill and be wildly successful. I mean, like the and mm-hmm. and, and and vice versa and everything in between. Right. For sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, it's definitely, like, like don't take everybody's advice, don't take their word for it, because, like you said, like, you know, everyone has to carve their own path, um, but what would you say, like, in terms of how people can feel, because there's a lot well, of Okay, so, so, like, there's, there's certain things you probably have to do no matter what. Right. You've got to put your work in front of people. Right. If you just sit at home with your thing, if you don't put it up online, if you don't send it to anybody... You don't share it with anybody. Obviously, nothing is going to happen. Right. And the harder you work to share it with everyone, the more likely something's going to happen. Right. Okay. Absolutely. Awesome, man. Well, uh, I think that's pretty much all we need. Is is are there any final thoughts? Are there anything that you that you wish for the people out there listening to this? Uh, I hope they come. Oh the well, book. my final thoughts and wish are the same as what I my final thoughts and wishes are after every time I speak publicly, which is that I wish I hadn't been so honest and I wish I had kept things more private. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rubbing my hands together. Not really. Yeah. So <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, where can people find you online? Uh, I am on Twitter. Uh, it's at the underscore Kachalka, which is K-O-C-H-A-L-K-A. And I can't remember what my Tumblr is or my Bandcamp page is, but <laughs> we'll, we'll, post it in the, we'll post it in the description. Okay, great. Uh, when we when people are coming to the site to listen to the podcast, so don't worry about that. Uh, they'll be able to find it in the in the description for the episode. Uh, I want to think. Yeah, so I should just say. Sure. To, go just ahead. sum it up. You can find me on Twitter and Bandcamp. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what's your website? I don't really have one. Okay, you're just you're just on social media and that yeah. sort of stuff. Okay, cool. So yeah, just just look for the social media links. We'll have them in the description. And uh, I want to thank you for doing this. I hope it was worthwhile. And uh, we'll see you next time on okay. Speech Bubble. Speech Bubble. Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. See you next time. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com is executive produced by Alex Ross. Audio editing by Joseph Yanni. Social media assistance by Jamie Warner and The Social Smiths. Announcements by Craig Mayhem and Sean Ward. 
logo design and graphical assistance by Brittany Tice.